everybody. Welcome to the Brain Trust Podcast. My name is Adam Vass. I'm a Foley artist in Glendale, California. My name is Willie Epps. I'm a Foley artist and VO artist in Boston, Massachusetts, America. Adam, do you want to demonstrate some of the Foley we got available to us right now? Yeah, let me, uh, I'm just like, you know, coming up with some stuff off the top of my head. How about okay. just, just somebody walking? <laughs> I don't know. Somebody. Wait, let's do a game. I'm going to make a Foley sound and you're going to tell me what it is. Okay. Um, I'm a, I'm a gumball and I just came out of the machine and uh, you're slowly putting me in your mouth. Great. Okay. Uh, your turn. Okay, I think I got it. I'm one of I'm the D12 you're looking for in your dice bag. <laughs> okay, uh my turn. Um I printed out a bunch of pages for a zine and I'm trying to collate them and I'm getting really frustrated. <laughs> okay. Uh, you're dealing, uh, we're about to play Netrunner, and you have one of the old Fantasy Flight ones before they lost the license, and so you're very carefully shuffling your cards that are in the little <laughs> sleeves. I find it's interesting, too, because the mic I'm recording with is not the mic that I'm talking to you with, so uh, there's <laughs> there's going to be a distinction in the recorded audio. <laughs> so there might be like a whole other game to this, like listening in post and trying to figure out what the things are. Mm, I got one last one. Can you give me that one more time? Yeah. Uh, I'm the, like, I'm the unpopped kernel in a bag of popcorn, and you're trying really hard to crunch it anyway. Uh, I'm, I always fall for that trap of crunching a kernel. A lot of mine were involved being eaten. <laughs> well, I just learned something. That's ex- <laughs> a journey for yourself. I'm excited for this new kind of vor centric. <laughs> hmm. 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 Sometimes you just want to get swallowed whole, you know? I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's a hot one out here tonight on Brain Trust Podcast. Um I've converted my room to summer night mode. I'm sweating. I got all kinds of cold drinks near me. And uh, you know, we're out here. We're like we said a couple episodes ago. We're about to recapitulate. Uh, we're gonna gonna go through the passion of <laughs> the Kickstarter again. Uh, I made a s'more last night. If you want to go in in pure summer mode. Wow. On a real fire. Um, wow. How did you get a real fire? Um, some friends of ours just moved to the valley. And the house that they have now has a fire pit in the backyard. Oh. Uh, so they picked up some vegan fried chicken and invited us over. And we sat far apart over there around their fireplace and uh, ate the fried chicken and uh, <laughs> made made us more. That sounds really great. It was it was really fascinating. And um, it was the second time this week that I 
allowed myself to see someone I'm friends with. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we- weirdly, both times still made me feel very uncomfortable. But yeah. even though they were like following procedure, it still doesn't necessarily feel like it's right. I've got one special friend I see once a month, and we will go into the woods and just go talk about our shitty roommates. <laughs> and uh, it's just uh, you know thing we do. Yeah, that's great. Truthfully, the show fills that role for me. Uh, yeah, because otherwise, I I would just interact with Erica every day, and that's right, exactly. good. But like, yeah, yeah, we're we're in a really we're in a bubble world. It's Bubble World. It's our new Apocalypse World game. <laughs> Powered by the Apocalypse World. Powered Bubble the uh, Apocalypse. Bubby Power B. <laughs> Just saying words. This is the kind of punchy shit you get when I'm sweating through a shirt in my jorts. <laughs> um, uh, hit me with a, yeah. this this week's direction. Oh, ooh, this week we're going to talk about tournament play and living world campaign playing and anything like that um basically this topic's inspired by the current brain trust obsession uh like at the point right now brain trust is really thinking about hexes and really thinking about lancer the rpg big mechs lots of numbers big book you use an app to make your robot and you do big mech fight fighting with the mechs. So we're trying to figure out how do we uh, all play together. And so we're just going to brainstorm uh, just, you know, a couple different things for this format of playing a game. So it's it's a little bit outside, you know, a straight up game design, but it's like session design, stuff like that. Yeah, I'm here for it. Uh, do you want to take a quick break before we dive in? Oh, I'd love to. Rock on. I'm glad I saw someone in the Discord say that they dreamt hexes, and I don't know if it was a joke or not, but that's definitely happened to me. Especially in, like, the waking hour, like, you know, you wake up at 6 and you're like, no, not yet, not yet. Uh, And then you have fucked up dreams for 20 minutes and then you wake up again. (laughs) Um, Those are where my hex (laughs) dreams come in. The fucked up dreams in that 20 minute period are the most like, oh, you wanted to go back to sleep? Well, here's what you missed. <laughs> yeah, uh, I had a dream you last made a night wish on a monkey like, pot, and here you go, you get 20 minutes of yeah. tortured sleep. I had I had uh, two dreams last night. I'll just tell you about my dreams right now. One was I was in a city that green gas was subsuming. It was just like, you know, you clearly see like a wheezing style gas smog that was killing everybody. So just running away from gas for my, that was the, the main feature. And then I wound down with a, um, in one of those little 20 minute dreams that I was in a guitar workshop, uh, like, and someone was showing people how to play very fast and we were all sitting in seats watching. We're like, Oh, simple, simple. I will just play very fast. That's the technique. (laughs) Uh, Wait, tell me about your hex dreams. They're they're all nonsense, and 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 like 
I don't remember dreams very well, but I'll just remember like it, it's weird too because I think that that slumbery hour is where I come up with a lot of ideas because I'm like not quite sure if I'm awake or if I'm thinking, and I have a pure obsession OCD. So like I'll just go into these like thought loops. So if mm. I if I like which is really hard if I wake up and I'm like I kind of have to pee. <laughs> then I just start thinking about it and I'm like, "Well, this is it. This is ruined." Um <laughs> but in these instances it's like, "Oh, today I'm going to work on this hex thing. Uh I'm going to doze off for a minute." And then it's just like yeah, hex-based psychedelia or like a brainstorm that I'm not taking part in. It's okay. It's just ideas. Yeah. The psychic maelstrom. The... <laughs> Damn, we love apocalypse world. You're yeah, you're just <laughs> looking through the operating window and just seeing what your brain's doing. Yeah, it's batshit. Yeah. It's definitely kind of how I am treating not straight up working on stuff nowadays. Is that my brain will just wor- do stuff and I'll look through the window and be like. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Y'all keep on going. I'm not going to touch this for, for, <laughs> for now. Okay, you got it. But, uh, yeah, the thing that we're doing in the Brain Trust, I, I just want to, like, let you know the thing I cracked for it, how I think it's going to work, and then we can just talk about other things there. So living world games or shared world games are RPGs where multiple groups with multiple facilitators, be that, like, us, the storyteller or, like, the GM or whatever it is, um, they collaborate all in a shared reactive world. So, like, let's say it's a game where we all hang out at the park, um, and so one group goes to the baseball field and, like, gets it really muddy because it was rainy and we still did baseball. And then another uh, group comes in maybe, like, a day later in real time to play in the same shared area. The baseball field will be all muddy and fucked up, so they can't play kickball here. Or they do play kickball in it, and it's different. Um, so just, like, the world's reacting, and the players can fill each other in the setting. So we're trying to figure out how to do that with Lancer, which is a really technical um, kind of D&D 4th edition, almost MMO-style uh, combat. You know, you've got, like, a grid, hexes, um, and <laughs> you do shit on it. And I want uh, a lot of people to play and just to experience the worlds together. So what I cracked was that it will be some co- sort of like gladiatorial games thing, but each GM is in charge of a different moon and they can have whatever they want happen on that moon. And that's where all their encounters take place. And there's like a shared like hangout space that all the players collaborate on um, and the GMs don't touch. And then each GM gets their own moon that they can do whatever with. Maybe they want to make it uh, an ocean. Uh, it's all water, and you just hang out on big lily pads, shooting your met guns at each other, whatever. So that's like the the basic framework. Yeah, that'll be interesting too in the way that I think dynamic terrain is always one of these things people talk about to make combat interesting instead of just like I do an attack and I roll for damage. Um, this opens up the opportunity to not just have that but to mm. explicitly encourage it and to make players constantly adapt to it because if i'm on lily pad moon today and i'm on you know hyper steel planet tomorrow like i have to change the way i operate my machine 
Yeah, and then it just makes you, you know, want to play with as many combinations of GMs and players as possible. Uh, the second thing is that there's a leaderboard. And the way that scoring counts is that when the GM is creating a scenario, there'll be uh, three objectives or something. And uh, that's just like the number that I have now. And maybe those objectives will be like, uh, you know, get the frog back on the lily pad will be one. And then it'll be stop the eel aliens from uh, fucking up with this frog. And the third one's an unrelated. Like, they, they... they convey like three different things. Like one would be like an escort thing. Another would be an attrition elimination thing. Another would be like a bridge building friendship logistical thing. And at the beginning of the session, players can assign a point value from one to three to each of those. And if they, they complete that thing, they get the points and that's on the leaderboard. Um, and so you don't have uh, the wild... Uh, adjudication stuff because they're decided by the players you know what they can do and what they can't do and what they want or what to they do. want to focus on yeah um and so the leaderboard will be active like i don't know the right words for this like you can accrue points during a month but you can only get as many points as you could do in one session so you could just try and get a perfect score and then you'll just be at the top tier of the leaderboard and that's just where you'll stay that month. So you don't, you know, people that can't play every week aren't fucked for, you know, not <laughs> doing right. 10 sessions. Um, and so the leaderboard will just be every month. And then it'll be like, oh, look, uh, Adira and her uh, frog mech is in the top place. And, you know, she gets all this cool shit. Or, you know, John's medic mech uh, is, is really crushing shit. Just really nailed it first try. And they'll probably, you know, get stuff for being on the top of the leaderboard. But that's kind of what I got. Oh, uh, editor note. This is well from later. A couple days later. In writing the rules, uh, implemented something else, which is after a month of, like, the moon play, after some, after some light moon play, a new part of the campaign will open up, which is the world that the moons revolve around. And so that's, like, a big, complex, uh, multi-front war that the players can uh, pick factions and then play through. So you've got kind of a PvE thing over on the moons. You've got a hub world where people chill in the stations and um, more antagonistic PvP slash quote-unquote campaign mode over there on something called the Range War. Your position on the leaderboard will affect you know, fictional decisions that you can make. Maybe it unlocks factions for you to be on or choices that you make about the setting at large. First place might be able to get uh, very positive choices, and close to the last place we'll be able to make devastating, hellish choices for everything. So, yeah, Adam's not going to talk about it because obviously this is later. I mean, Adam read it probably, right? Okay, I, I, I'm going to go. So, I mentioned to you privately that I'm like disengaging with the Lancer because it's <laughs> just too much for me. The um, Lancer action, disengaging with the Lancer. <laughs> uh, but I think there are interesting facets uh, of a spe- like time play and adaptive world stuff um, that could transcend this play, you know, that like you could plug mm-hmm. into other things. Um, this, uh, I, the other day when 
Vidatia was streaming uh, plot armor. Um, oh yeah, by Orion Black. Yes. Uh, there, there's a. I I only watched the stream and I didn't. I haven't read the rules, but it seems like there's this really interesting time play in that like you're doing contained episodes of a long running series, but you're not doing every episode. So. Mm-hmm. You do the beginning, epi- you do the first episode of the season, you learn who the characters are, kind of what's going to happen. And then by some aspect of randomization, you determine how much, how far you go into the season for your next episode. And I think that works really well, too, especially with um, the media that it's emulating, because uh, having, here we go, having just finished watching Lost again. <laughs> Lost is the. Fox show. I'm uh, an apologist for Lost because I'll admit that there's at least one season that's bad and there are probably 20% of each individual season full of bad episodes but you need them all to kind of like learn who the characters are to get those satisfying payoffs. Um, and a friend, Lost of, rules. a friend of mine told me or like posited this week like what if lost was made now there's 10 episode seasons and they maybe get three seasons but they're still going to do the whole story and uh i think that's really interesting because you could cut out a lot of that filler stuff but the point the, the point i'm making is every show that has that goes long enough has filler uh just by its sort of its nature i think a campaign especially with a lot of characters and a lot of stuff could benefit from saying, uh, maybe not necessarily following like today's event is directly the next thing that happened after yesterday's event or last week's event. Mm -hmm. Um, having implied passage of time or playing with time out of sequence. So, you know, like maybe we have a big ass battle tomorrow and then next week our session took place before that battle and we can see some like tensions rising. I also think generally having like a goal per episode is kind of nice for role playing like to understand yeah. what your end goal is here with your, for your character. Um, think treating it because uh, to kind of circle back to uh, Heckheads, the, the Gamma World 1E West Marches being presented as a television program like di- like in world. Um, oh, yeah. It opens it up to facets of television that are absent from role playing that make a lot of sense. And even just like the audience engagement with television. Like I said, if you if you miss a couple weeks, but you still are able to catch up when you watch one. Um, a show like right, Lost, yeah, maybe the, not the show does enough to catch you up. Yeah, exactly. Each episode. Yeah. Even just um, some, something like Buffy, where there are these longer arcs. But it's sort of like uh, they they only really directly at- pay attention to those arcs every four or five episodes. And the ones in between are just like fun, like kind of fodder episodes. Um, that doesn't mean that they're bad and it doesn't mean that they serve no purpose. They just are for a different purpose. And I think that, um, yeah, in- integrating something like that episodic structure with a larger arc into role playing campaign structure uh, would be a lot more pleasurable than what I, like one thing I talked about last week, where it's just like every second leads to the next second in like fantasy gaming yeah. being yeah. so dry and kind of drab. Um, let's just say like we had conversations, we had battles, we didn't need to watch them, 
and now it's two episodes later something important's going to happen yeah i love that um and i also not to go all the way back to uh, is lost good but i don't think a three season run of lost would be a show i like because the amount of hangout shit in lost is amazing like that show is a lot of people hanging the fuck out um and I like uh, different combinations of characters hanging out. That's like just a cool thing I like in a show. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. There there is a strength to having, um, quote unquote, weaker non-plot moving forwardy episodes. Uh, like you said, to understand about the characters. Since what we're the on fuck it, is... <laughs> lost. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Lost does that I, lost is so explicitly about the characters but it just Dude, we constantly do a fucking lost podcast we could just yeah what do a whole other one here what the fuck <laughs> because it's about the characters and it's simultaneously about this like science fiction mystery there's no way to appease everybody and you can't focus on one or the other without deliberate like forcing uh to ignore an important aspect of what the show is and what it's trying to do um yeah. That said, The Leftovers on HBO was three 10-episode seasons uh, from one of the creators of Lost. It touches a lot of the same themes and has some mystery aspect to it and is my favorite show ever. Um, Shit. Exactly accomplishes some of the emotional uh, goals that Lost sort of juggles and tries to catch in the last season. Um and I will, uh, this might be a spoiler or not. I guess it, it's not as concerned with the mystery solution as Lost was forced to be by its audience. I see. Yeah. Subreddit syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, when you go that long and they're like, what, what about this thing? It's like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll spoon feed you what these things are. Um, the leftovers doesn't bother with that so much. Um, so taking, like, the aspects of Lost that we like, um, Lost is, like, a show about different factions doing things. How how could we translate that to a living world, uh, shared environment, multiple playgroup, physical game? Um, that's great. So we when you and I went to the art museum here, we talked about this a little bit, because an aspect of that within the show is that these factions often operate in generations and those generations don't always cross over, but they still influence one another. So you have, you know, the before time where you have all this sort of like mystery of people finding the Island and, and doing exploring, like what makes it interesting and special. Then you have the 1970s, you have the Dharma initiative who are this like research group who come to the Island to do science things. Um, it's all sort of, an experiment uh, sort of similar to like how the fallout shelters and fallout are kind of like yeah. subversive experiments. Um, and they kind of dysfunctionally coexist with the population from the before time. So they're not directly interacting a whole lot, but they both are on the Island at the same time. And the things that they do obviously uh, influence one another. And then you have air quote, present day which is after the main cast's plane lands and so you have the people who are left over from the 70s who still survived and then this new group of people and again you have them operating in different portions of the island and then 
when their paths cross is when they directly interact. But you can kind of see, you know, like they're aware of one another and they maybe don't necessarily want to interact directly because there's inherent uh, tension there. Um, So I think gamifying this is uh, something... I I think it's not necessarily... uh, bordered regions you know like we we're on the west side of the island and you're on the east side of the island and there's a line here um it's more so like if we do this thing in 1970 and then we play our group of characters in 2010 um how does that how did that thing change kind of the geography or the uh like mystical history of the place uh, in a way that when we interact with it, not necessarily with the people who made it or discovered it or whatever, um, then, you know, something happens to us. So I think um, treating it as a sort of not necessarily monument. It's, it's like a, how you impact the world around you and how those impacts will further affect people um, outside of your direct influence. Yeah, you just see, like, the equivalent of a sediment layer chart of, like, all right, though, like, in the 70s, looks like we constructed uh, some kind of Tesla coil that uh, created a weird magnetic field around this part of the island, which fucks up compasses. I wonder, like... And then, you you know, your 2010 group experiences that compass problem. And you can get this very, I mean, a, 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 what am I trying to say? A benefit of this, a positive, is that you can quickly see the effects of the butterfly effect of history. So I would even like that to be two halves of a session. So your first half is playing in the 70s, and your second half is playing in the aughts um, or the 10s. And you uh, can, you know, go do something in the 70s because you know that, like, um, you're going to have to deal with these. What, what are the groups that like the private company that comes in on a boat? Yeah. You, it, it gets really hairy in the end too, because the, yeah. the, the lines of the factions get really blurry. And at, on this rewatch, I was like, those people want the same thing that these people want, <laughs> but they are enemies and it doesn't necessarily really track just meaner about it um right but what, what i'm saying is like you know you everyone who plays in this game uh so like say there's like three groups playing um you know you play your you have each group occupies a different space in history and then their 2010 counterpart so maybe once the 70s maybe it's the like very weird theological weird god level shit that happens like very early on right like at the beginning of time like you know someone's playing an extremely heightened reality version of that so you have um the like different uh levels of interaction that you each get to experience um and so yeah the thing the thing i would like is just different groups to know what their effects on other groups will be i think that's something just making that extremely clear I think that's interesting, too, because it's not the same as, like, in the 1970s, I buried a rifle right here, <laughs> you know? So then my character in 2000 can be like, oh, I want th- this dirt looks different. I wonder, I'm going to dig up. And then it's like, I acquired a <laughs> rifle. Like, that's cheating. Yeah. That's not really the spirit. That's not what we're talking about. 
Well, that actually rules, right? That, like, that is something. I would love that. In the same equivalent, like, you know, the smoke monster rolls up on you, and you remembered earlier that session that, like, you gave the smoke monster the inability to pass over moving water or something like that. And you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to run across the other side of the, the canal. Let's see what happens. And then the smoke monster doesn't go across. And then, so you're, you're metagaming through history. And it just, like, it's shit that happens in Lost. I mean, how many times, like, did they find a gun yeah. buried in dirt? <laughs> like, that's a thing that actually happens a right, lot. I know, that's my, exp- that's my, like, explicit nitpick. It's just, like, why would you dig that? Like, why would you think to look there? How would you even find it? But... Repetitions um, through history, Adam. To, to loop it back to, to uh, like, a Lancer thing, I think, or or even just, like, episodic structure. Um, it, I mean, damn, Lost did this within episodes, you know? Like, you'll have an episode that just takes place in 1700 and be like, oh, shit. Like, you can see now it explains a lot of the things that happened in, in the 2000s episodes. Um, yeah. Kind of, like, retroactively. Um, a lot of it, I think, was the writers like catching up to their own bullshit. But <laughs> in role play, that would be really fun. Or, um, you know, in the Lancer campaign too, you you have the sort of ongoing tournament style. But you can explore the history of the tournament, like how did the tournament begin? Um, who were the first people that did it? Like, what was the first? like rudiment more rudimentary like mech building stuff you can yeah, kind of get yeah. into the history of because i um again I- ignorant to the game itself but because it's so combat focused yeah. um interjecting it with history and uh some sort of purpose i think innately makes it more interesting um, just giving so much context to it. I think that's true of any kind of fighting game too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you play Tekken or Mortal Kombat, it's it's like fun to just like dive in and start throwing attacks. But those games all have like arcade mode or story mode, so that you can learn about the character's history and how they got there, why they're there, and that's always really fascinated me. Um, and I think you know having both options there for different styles of play is really is really beneficial. And you can just point at the corners of if you're playing in this kind of split time situation where you can apply as much context you want to anything. Players can provide so much meaning to uh, things in environment or design of of just like engineering of robots or whatever. So you just have, you know, six brains at a table working on on doing whatever it is. I really like that time play. And that's something I should definitely uh point people toward doing i mean there there is a cool thing that if every pl- group is playing on different moons there is a world that they revolve around and so that can be the the spot where you know maybe all these moons were uh man made um yeah they serve some other purpose exactly yeah and so you know it's a lot of fighting tournaments are a great example like the dragon ball fighting tournaments are not just interesting because there's people are fighting but there's tons of context to like who's fighting and when they met and you know who won last time and all this all these other levels like most of these uh in dragon ball the fighting tournaments are away from actual fighting it's like the moments in between that the show really likes to uh highlight 
Yeah, I think uh, with our friend group and with a game like Lancer, there will innately be a desire for something like that. Yeah. Also, big robots go, go blam in space. <laughs> um, uh, should we um, take a break and then come back and talk about uh, this kind of shared world aspect uh, outside of a time yeah. uh, framework? Yeah. Cool. Okay, well then <laughs> we'll be right the fuck back then. <laughs> an idea okay we're back <laughs> we're back so we're talking about this shared world situation um and uh we masterfully explored how to do that through time uh you know having one if you think of it like one sustained note and a note in the bass moving around the sustained note is our present day that we're seeing all the effects and our note in the bass is all the events going on um how do we do it without uh, the contrivance of time. And so I think of a couple examples. You have a shared place where people are all, you know, doing different things uh, simultaneously, maybe like a university campus or um, a, a front of war, for example. Those are two things that, you know, that's, that's what I got. <laughs> okay, you're either in war or in college. Go. Okay, that is how people dodge the draft. <laughs> You're either in war, in college, in seminary, in hospital, or in Canada. <laughs> or maybe in jail. That was one. Or yeah, places where do you see that a lot with a? I mean, tournament play is a whole thing. Um, like uh, Dungeons and Dragons tournaments at conventions where many different groups would take a stab at a dungeon and try and accrue as many points as possible on like bizarre rubrics um, that were like, did you interact with this door? Two points. Two points for this. <laughs> did you listen to the Brain Trust podcast? Minus five points. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm still waiting for you to finish a sentence. Me? Like, <laughs> like it got into like summer zone where... Uh, you 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 followed a tangent and then you didn't come back to the point. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. Because now I'm extremely lost. Lost. Um, I'm extremely lost would be a good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah. So my face is just covered with sweat. It's hot. It's probably eighty degrees in my room. Um. Okay. So. A uh, shared campaign in the same space, uh, rather in the same time period. Yeah. Um, like you could do strategy level stuff. So say like you're two different platoons in a war zone doing your things and you can, you know, see the effects of other groups each session through a letter or like a walkie talkie or whatever it is in the same way. 
So you it could make progress toward a larger goal. And maybe you're on the same team and you, you know, need something done with this other team. Uh, like, we need help fixing this bridge. Can you fix this bridge so the time we get there we can roll our big, cool, uh, what what's like a thing you tank. roll over a bridge? A tank. That's kind of boring, Adam. I don't a know. A tank. <laughs> <laughs> this, just mechs in general are outside my wheelhouse, too. Uh, what about just uh, something medieval? Uh, like a a cart. <laughs> a car, yeah. A car. <laughs> I need to drive um, my car over this bridge. Yeah. Okay. It's a racing game. It's a point-to-point racing game, and it's all happening uh, during the course of the same race. Um, and it's, it's like, doesn't matter who gets there first, it's how quickly you get to different points. And so, if you're the trailblazer, the first one over a path, you can report back to the next team who's going through. Or you can booby trap stuff or, you know, yeah, affect it's, it's wacky racers. area. Exactly, yeah. Wacky racers is a great example of what this could do. I like that. I think, too, it, it's not just... It, it also includes secret information, right? Like, uh, I'm going to mix it up. But, like, Snidely Whiplash... Uh, he was in the lead, but he decided he's going to pull over and fuck up the next person who drives by. Yeah, uh, and his dick dastardly is right behind and his, and the dog. See, that's what I was getting. I was like, I don't remember which of these two bad people who are effectively the same character was on this one particular show. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, bad, bad guy wait for next car um, is like the players don't know that bad guy here. So you get to have bad guy be its own like session, right? Like I broke away, I'm in the lead and I'm going to build this thing on that. That's my session, right? Um, Mm. The efficacy with which it is built uh, determines not only uh, the kind of like threat level for the next party, but also, you know, in next week's episode, if bad guy is still going to be in the lead or if building it caused, you know, some sort of um, problem on his end that now he's no longer going to be in the lead. He has to make up for some lost time. And what's really interesting about having it in a uh, linear racetrack uh, type frame that you can see, you know, Penelope pit stop really ate shit off the rail at this pin hairpin turn and you just mark that on the shared map that everybody has. And a whole thing about wacky racers, weirdly, is that a lot of racers are just racing in isolation. Like, and then they come up upon uh, fucking Bella Gruesome. I'm just looking at the list now. <laughs> Gravel Slag is another one. And Rock Slag. Tiny Gruesome. Anyway, um, you know, you, you can have a pretty interesting non-traditional game where every player shares a portion of Dick Dastardly and and Dick Dastardly's car and then the environment. So maybe each player has a certain uh, stake in each character and wants a certain result at the end of the race and will work as the environment or as the racer themselves to do, you know, whatever it is. So you both have a shared world um, and also shared characters. There's a, there's a, limited cast of characters that everyone can be this is uh 
going to show again my ignorance two weeks in a row, but um, a, a belonging outside belonging thing really functions well here where we're all race characters. But then in a moment, I want to, you know, be the weather. Like I want to cause like, you know, a, a lightning strike to take out that bridge. It's going to affect yeah, the race. So I had to sort of like manage and mitigate the points and tokens that I've earned and spent over the course of my normal like racing game play to make sure that I have the points and the timing and everything to spend it on lightning strike hits bridge, like this powerful, uh, influential world move because you're, you're yeah, mitigating both your racers skills and goals and stuff with your, you as a player wanting to affect and shape the world in a way that also affects directly the other racers. Yeah. And, uh, like, Characters existing outside isolation. There's gonna be a point where fucking Penelope Pitstop rolls up on Dick Dastardly and wants to blame him, and so you <laughs> then are dividing up for like a PvP kind of scenario that you've been setting up for the previous session or whatever. So these sound like really short sessions, like 45 minutes to an hour and a half, that you then just like you're like that chapter's done. Time for the next one. Who's in? Who who's who's rolling here? That's great, though. I think too it works well. I mean, um, you could you could do long arcs in short time with that st- sort of structure. Mm-hmm. I want to say with my cloudy memory too that Wacky Racers was like a really long race, and yeah. like episodes were segments of that race. It wasn't like each episode was a standalone race. Yeah, there were segments. So, I mean that this style accomplishes that really well of. Uh, you, you know that each our, the game that we're playing is the story of one very long race um i think too if you want it like what what you talked about with apocalypse world war bus like have, <laughs> right. having it traverse extreme distance um but also op- offer these opportunities of character stuff and like like you just said where um characters who are taking place in the race might be generally isolated or not directly interact, but then given potential to do so. Um, I mean, that's kind of the gut I think of the in character role play stuff that would take place in there mm-hmm. versus just the competitive, like meta player stuff. Yeah. I mean, like ideally this would be a game you'd play over the course of five hours in a room with two other groups playing and every 45 minutes, every everyone stands up and then you're like okay well we need like penelope's about to hit the hairpin turn who wants to play that scenario who wants to go to the scenario where uh fucking rock slag is about to shoot dick dastardly in the head <laughs> uh, who wants to go over to that one and then who wants to launch off the fucking jump uh finally with a blubber bear um and so then you do that because you've set it up uh you know, you're you're all generating stuff at the table, and then you can just jump around, and you know you have this hidden information only because you weren't part of it, and There's, you're gonna hit it because you're on the race. But you know, I've been trying to think of uh, how to like integrate or inf- uh, channel Fast and Furious into this too, uh, mm. because you know I'm a big fan, but there there's definitely um, an aspect of that too, like you need to divide the team into their strengths. So you have like the hackers who are 
you know, remote in some way. Um, you have the people who are just like rough and tumble actually going onto this like nuclear submarine to hijack it. And then you have like this third team who are doing recon or, you know, like staving off the sort of minions who are trying to stop the hijacking of the nuclear submarine. And so each of those three groups have a very important task. They all have this common goal, which I guess is a little bit at ends with what we're talking about because we're talking about competition. Um, But I think this is still a cool thing and and might just be a a branch on a a different tree. Um, Yeah. To then say, you know, like the hackers need to disable the security, the, the, the gunners need to get into this room by this time, and the, the infantry needs to protect the sub for X length of time. Um, if any one of those fail, it's going to detriment the other two. But oh. um, so you have a shared you have a shared consequence, I guess, more, more so than a shared world, because you, you are existing in the same world at the same time, um, whether, how, however closely those lenses line up. Um, in this particular example, you'd kind of all have to be around the nuclear submarine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Maybe it's, it's this, like, super spy level shit that needs a high degree of synchronicity between all the groups, and you don't know until they've done it whether it was successful or not. Right, yeah. And if you're uh, inside the sub and you're just punching fools trying to get to the the room with the ignition key or whatever, like yeah. you you don't have time yeah, or knowledge of the success and failures of the other two groups until you start to turn the key and then, you know, the the engine doesn't turn over. This is an extremely attractive frame of play. Like this kind of you have a long 4-hour, 5-hour session with different 45-minute increments inside. That's really strong. And so everything is gated in these 45-minute increments. They're like, we needed to do these three things. How did we do? What's next for us? Who wants to do each thing? I think Um, that really well accomplishes modern action movies, too, because they're all built around and sewing sewing together these, like, huge set pieces of action. mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. And even though we hijacked the nuclear sub and we you know, did everything we needed to do. That's not the end of the movie. Now we have a sub and we need to figure out what the next fucking step is. So, or I I just watched Hobbs and Shaw again. And it's like, you have probably four really big high action sequences and you arguably succeed at each one, but that doesn't mean it's the end of the movie. Like all action movies are just sequences of action. So your success and failure don't necessarily dictate, um, whether you survive or whether you like thwart the enemy, it is just what sort of position you're in for the next uh, set piece. Mm. And with that too, you could structure campaign or, or session play with a, a certain number of linked set pieces in mind. And like, that could just be a module, you know, like uh, I could write, you know, you first meet the enemy on the streets and then the next step is like you infiltrate the home base or whatever. Um, you have sequential story beats that are big action moments. So those are the parts that you play. You don't play the parts in between. You don't play the planning. Yeah. This is kind of Blades in the Darky, but more diluted into what you're saying of like hyper focus. And then the the outcome of the thing that you do makes the next step easier or harder. But the next step is sort of written in stone already. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And it, mind just racing with the amount of stories you could tell like 
instead of uh, like a hyper competent team. Oh, do you ever notice that all role playing games have the word hyper competent somewhere in them? <laughs> you notice this? Everyone's calling their characters hyper competent. Have you ever met a hyper competent person? <laughs> um, uh, but um, so it could be revolving around one person. So like, let's say the game is John Wick. And so you each play a different fight scene within the first hour of John Wick. Um, and, you know, some of you, it's a GM-less game. So some of you play the antagonist, some of you play John Wick, some of you play the car. I don't know. The car would be fun the bullet. to play. The bullet. Yeah, it's it's a very, um, it's a lyric game. So you play all the different machinery in the gun working together <laughs> um, <laughs> for one shot. But anyway. You uh, so so that's one thing you could do with this format is have it surrounded one one person. It doesn't have to be fucking action either. It could be a kind of mannerist Downton Abbey type deal where you have downstairs and upstairs and in the yard, which is like basically the Downton Abbey zones of control, <laughs> <laughs> the fronts of war in Downtown Abbey. But um, uh, you know, there there's a lot of really attractive. Uh, story and narrative elements, but characters should have a little scorecard that they, or a playbook that they bring in between sessions and mark experience and can do things. So by the time you're on the, you know, third or fourth final um, segment of this uh, segmentized, uh, compartmentalized, hyper focused, fucking <laughs> ultra competent uh, adventure thing. You have all your moves already. So, like, you've made a lot of choices about what you can do, and it's harder than the first one. It's, like, much harder than the first one from a gameplay perspective. So you have a much larger toolkit because you've mastered the story and you're at the end. You know, when Tom Cruise has a fucking broken hand in whatever Mission Impossible thing and he's got the helicopter and the gun and whatever, and he's in the mountains, um, that's that part. Um, I think that really helps too with pacing, which is definitely a thing that I'm always thinking about in my games, especially since guide, which I think understands pacing in like a, an expert level kind of way of, mm. um, we're going to look at this demon for this many turns and success or failure, like a new thing happens. Um, I also uh, the game I just put out, uh, Sink to Swim, um, my like story game about uh, art, um, mm. it's it's built into like this sixteen scene structure that's very uh, fiasco inspired and just like movie inspired. But thinking of it in game mechanics, um, it's about an artist who is not necessarily at, at the peak time of their uh, career as as whatever sort of art that they they make. And then they're given this opportunity to exhibit their work. Um, so in each of those, those, like every four scenes, you, you flip a couple of coins and you can get, you know, good, partial, good or bad. And so even though the, the, the things that I did in the first half of the game seemed like we were getting our shit together, um, we're only a bad coin flip away from things taking a turn, but the arc of the story is always going to be compartmentalized and paced in this three act structure. And I think that really helps play when you can see th this is sort of single session focused. Um, whereas I think 
thinking of it as an action movie or something could be more campaign friendly. Um, but having that quantifiable amount of things you do uh, really helps me as a player with scope and understanding um, yeah. my, the, my character's limits, the world's limits, that sort of thing, the, f- the focus of the game itself, and how gonzo do I want to get in this particular moment, especially going back to like a Fast and Furious style. If we have two set pieces, or if we have a game that's five set pieces, like I'm in the two, I'm going balls to the wall the whole time. And in a five, I'm going to naturally like build it and watch the action get crazier each time. And I think both of those are really satisfying, but I think knowing going in as a player is really beneficial to making the kind of experience that you um, as an audience member really want to enjoy. Damn. Yeah. Action. That one, I think, uh, shit. I mean, I wish I, I feel like almost every week I'm like, ah, I want to fucking make that one. Yeah. We, we, we've invented a framework for games. So what should we call it? Uh, Hmm. Hmm cobwebs <laughs> i mean i was gonna say like <laughs> it, it, it's on the nose but like calling referring to them as set pieces is something that i think is understood really quickly especially you if you're like called set piece yeah if, if you're into like that style of movie you understand what a set piece is and framing a game and, and like you could build that into anything right like you could do yeah. that into existing games you could build that into your D campaign like really easy of just saying instead of this quest that we're going to go on, it's going to take question mark sessions. Um, We're going to do the same exact quest and we're going to boil it down to its five set pieces. And like you can skip some of the fodder um, stuff if you want to, but the options always there, which I think comes back to uh, what we're talking about early in this episode of like, do you want the characters to hang out or do you want to just go full action? Having that potential is really great. And then circling those framing, those things with these important moments that ripple into other important moments. Um, but all of those moments will happen in sequence. Um, that's a really great framework for just storytelling. Yeah. You are in, like you said, cutting out the fluff, um, and even if it's uh, sitting around a campfire talking about, you know, the time you first met, that is a set piece also. So even having those small interpersonal moments be the same, like, importance of getting the nuclear codes for the submarine and putting the submarine codes in to make the submarine launch key, um, that is equally important. Uh, yeah, so I think, you know... You've explained how it works with a single group uh, over the course of a session, and we, we also talked about how multiple groups could play inside of this in a shared digital space or physical space. Um, and that's just what set-piece games are. Yeah, I think that's like a Galaxy Brain thing. I hope maybe someone writes it or like explains it further <laughs> than, than our 30 to 50 audience reach on the podcast. Because I think I, I got time. <laughs> it will make it will just make gameplay better. And I'm also I'm picturing at a convention if those ever happen again that where we can have structured play 
built around real life time. So there's not going to be a lot of meandering because we know we're only in a two hour session or like you're saying where you play in like a common room and, and the things that happen at that table are going to influence the things that happen at my table, whether they're competitive or collaborative or, or whatever kind of relationship those naturally have. Um, I think just thinking of, of bullet points and set pieces, your campaign is an outline instead of a story. Um, is kind yeah. of like revolutionary. Yeah, just making clear like what a point crawl wants to do and it's taking it's just making those lines between points uh very personal. Like you're having a conversation with somebody like it's totally a way it's logistical. We're getting here. You know, do you want to lose four hit points or lose a spell slot? Like what's it going to be? Um and then bam, you're here, you're doing it. Here are the stakes. Uh that rules yeah i think that's really great also i just want to plant the seed right here of something i'm not going to do but it might be usable um to throw that into a hex crawl have your have each of your set pieces be a symbol or a shape or whatever in within the hex and the Mm -hmm. spaces in between are your your hanging out or your like kind of your fodder episodes um that then that way too you can choose like we're not ready for the nuclear submarine set piece like we can go to any of these five set pieces in any order but it makes the most sense to do like truck robbery on the highway first like yeah so you get this directional aspect and a little bit of control over the the sequence uh or the the aim of your characters um could be a pretty pretty effective hex crawl reinterpretation for the still ongoing hex jam where can they find that hex jam adam oh that's at itch.io slash jam slash hex jam bam bam using your uh super cool hex pack yeah which also just got uh expanded content with new colors of ink and a few new drawings um there are three distinct weed icons now so i encourage you to make a stony ass game with those (laughs) fucking call of duty ass looking shit (laughs) well that uh that was a really the set piece design of a brain trust episode yeah we nailed it uh we did don't you agree why don't you give us five stars in review (laughs) Tell people about our podcast. That's a good way to tell people things. That's one of the things you could tell people. We're out here always running out of things to say, so why not talk about this? Um, Yeah, that would be great. Uh, (laughs) Like, we post about the new episode on Tuesday, and genuinely this week on Thursday, I was like, did we put an episode out this week? Not only did we, it was great. And I... (laughs) But just by the nature of uh, everything... Um, attention is fleeting time is fleeting and sharing that sharing the show with other people would actually be very beneficial um, for us growing the audience but also just for people being aware of the fucking great ideas we put into the ether (laughs) I want to (laughs) see I want to see other people implement set piece design into their games uh, you know tomorrow yeah, so, and if somebody already um, made this, forget it. 
This is a brain trust. This is a brain trust creation at this point. Like a lost episode, we're going back to the to the gods and pantheon level uh, beginning of time design, and we we already made this, and we're making it. <laughs> and we'll just rename it if somebody already did it. Yeah, I mean, fucking set piece is good. Uh, so for the brain trust, I'm on Twitter at WC Game Co. And uh, that's I'm working on some. I'm working on this weird ass space game right now. Yeah, um, that I think is going to be very exciting and good. It'd probably come out next month. Hell yeah. Um, I'm Willie Epps. I'm at will.com. I, there should be like a new, this discord has ghosts in it update this week. Ooh, um, nice. Yeah. Cool. Just, you know, some stuff. Yeah. We're still, <laughs> we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we got we got the Discord, but you already know about that. There's a link in the show notes. And come play Lancer with us if you're listening. Uh, we're running that through the Discord. We're doing that. Uh, you can play if you're listening. Yeah, no rules, just right. Uh, yeah, and we should play, even though it's hard. There are rules for the Discord, but no rules for joining the Lancer game. <laughs> but then Lancer has rules that you will, will mm, need to lots, know. There's a lot of them, yeah. too, it seems like. So, okay, so, right, the, the section of rules... Is not here. They're right here. No rules. Get in there. Instead of you no rules, it. just right. It's oh rules, just right. Just right. <laughs> Chef's kiss. <laughs> uh, brain emoji, handshake emoji. Glad we got the episode title in right there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like the Simpsons business card. No <laughs> rules, just right. <laughs> One go. go. Oh, I got it. Oh, I got it. All right. <laughs> Let's just get all our noises out. Gotta. Let me squeak this chair. Like. All right, me you? Squeak, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, there's some good foley. I had to pick up some prints that fell on the ground like a thunder. <laughs> ah! Wait, here's the sound of me playing Super Smash. <laughs> uh, we're off to a good start. <laughs>